Hey, it's Heike, and it's time for the final episode of the Pursue Your Spark podcast before we go on summer break. Every year, I take off the month of August recording new episodes or releasing new episodes, but we will be back on September 2nd, which is a Thursday with brand new episodes about fitness, nutrition, mindset strategies, and of course, with a bunch of amazing guests. So make sure you hit subscribe to by Apple, hit follow on Spotify, and tap favorites on Stitcher so you get notified when the next episode will air and you won't miss out when we are back. So in the meantime, listen to episodes you might have missed or didn't have time to listen to. Go back there. We had a ton of amazing content. But before I take off for the summer, I want to leave you with some powerful thoughts specifically geared to the women in midlife. My guest today is an amazing, incredible person and her thought-provoking comments, stories will make you take note, turn heads and be ready to embrace your midlife like never before. So let's dive in to today's episode. I'm Heike Yates, a fitness and nutrition coach with 30 years of experience. I empower women over 50 to take back their health and strength to lead a vibrant life. Right now, you're joined by thousands of women over 50 around the world who stop dimming their light and instead ignite their spark. On this podcast, I do what I do best taking complicated information about fitness, nutrition, and mindset strategies, and breaking it down into baby steps that are simple, actionable, and sustainable, so you can implement them into your life. I regularly interview some of the most inspiring women who share their honest stories on how they went from their worst to their best life, so that you know not alone in your struggles. Join me as we redefine what aging looks and feels like by taking action and saying, yes, I can. This is the Pursue Your Spark podcast. Today's guest is Stephanie Raffalock. She's the author of Creatrix Rising, Unlocking the Power of Midlife Women due in August of 2021, and the award-winning book, A Delightful Little Book on Aging. Stephanie is a graduate of Naropa University's program in writing and poetics. She is a contributor to the Rogue Valley Messenger in Oregon and has blogged for Nexus Magazine, Omaha Lifestyles, Care2.com, as well as 60andme.com. She's a former iHeartRadio host and now a popular guest on podcasts, where she inspires women to embrace the strength and passion of their personal story. Stephanie is building her speaker's resume by giving presentations for groups like the Ashland Literary Arts Festival, Wins at Charles Schwab, and Southern Oregon University, Friends of the Hannon Library. She is a recent transplant to Austin, Texas, and she enjoys an active lifestyle with her husband, Dean, and their Labrador retriever, Mickey Mantell. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Oh, thanks so much. I'm happy to be here. Now, Stephanie, if I would meet you at a party, 
what would you tell me about you? And I say, hi, I'm Heike. Nice to meet you. Oh, you just moved to Texas. So tell me what you do and, and you know, what's your life like? Well, you know, the move to Texas was interesting for me because I never thought I would live in Texas. Texas is a place you're supposed to change planes. It's not a place you're supposed to move to. But here I am. I love the weather. I live in this place called Steiner Ranch, which is about the size of the town that I left in Oregon. And I like to say about Steiner Ranch, where all the women are bells and all the men got your back. Um, Texans are very welcoming. And I have grown to love this place, including the heat. And we are now hitting the summer heat. But um, I love it all. What do I do in my life? I write. How long have you been there in Texas? I've been here since the fall of 2018. Okay, so you had the big freeze as well. So you experienced that just this year. (laughs) The great Texas freeze taught me more about Texas politics than I ever wanted to know. But it was, you know, it was interesting. And um, one of the great things, I always look for the silver lining. I, I am a Pollyanna. My neighbors were so good with each other. Everybody texted and called and checked in with us. And we checked in with people. Are you okay? Do you have power? Do you have water? Do you need anything? Because you couldn't get out. There's no snow plows when you're this far south. So no one could get to a store and the stores weren't stocked anyway. Um, So I just had this great experience in the great Texas freeze of um, once again, that Southern hospitality and the caring of our neighbors and how we all kind of took care of each other for this five days of unusual freeze. Oh my God. We just watched you up here from Maryland and like, okay, just send help down there. They need help. (laughs) Yeah. So you're a writer and our story, yeah, let's say our story today is about the rising voice of the midlife woman or women collectively known. We have had guests on the podcast that talked about the Me Too movement, that talked about their difficulties in their job situations. And we're talking about the creatrix as we dive further into the interview. But to start out with, why are we ashamed of getting older as women? Well, mostly it's cultural that that we we integrate into us. We take at things like advertising and and we integrate that. It's like, oh, my skin is getting saggy. Therefore, dot dot dot, I must not be worth as much. And the whole idea of having an attractive woman on your arm harkens back to the days when women were chattel. You know, it's like I want a good-looking, strong horse, and I want a good looking, strong woman. And so, you know, we are at this interesting inflection point in our culture right now where women are doing lives on their own, life on their own terms. They are claiming their power. And um, there is a new, I postulate, a new archetype rising that is this creative woman. The word creatrix means a woman who makes things. And it comes from the three Greek fates. There was the spinner, the weaver, and the cutter. And the creatrix is the weaver. She is a woman who makes things. And that's what I see in women all around me, whether it's in um, public life, 
or in private life. This idea that women are making things. And, you know, you mentioned the hashtag me too movement. There, there were, um, there were a couple really important things that happened in our evolution um, just in the last couple of years. I mean, we are really witnessing history um, with creatrix rising. And that is the Women's March of 2017 brought together millions of women wearing their knitted pussy hats who said, we're not going to be the butt of your joke anymore. And there was this tremendous unification and it was grandmothers and mothers and sons and daughters and husbands and fathers that marched with women and found a real solidarity. That was the first thing. The second thing that happened was on the heels of that, this whole hashtag Me Too movement unfolded with just all its horribleness and ugliness. And once again, women united, but they stopped holding the secret. They said, yeah, me too. And it got louder and louder and change started to come about. We live in a post hashtag me too world now. That doesn't mean things are perfect, but it does mean things are changing. And the final thing that happened is that the year after the Women's March in 2018, more women over the age of 50 ran for local, state, and national office than ever before in the history of our country. Yes. So at this point, it was time for us not just to be, uh, not be heard and be silent, puttering around the kitchen, bearing children, but time to step up. And I went to the march here in Washington, D.C. with my daughter and a couple of uh, friends and uh, sexual different orientations as well. And, and uh, it was a spectacular moment. And it was like you, you said, it was the time where we said enough is enough. We wanna be heard. Things are not okay and have not been okay for a long time. And when you talk about the, the three categories or, or ways that we've that represented the stages that we were in, it was like, and I read that you talk about the maiden, the mother, and the crown. So elaborate more on that. Who's well, the maiden, the mother, and the crown? How do they relate to each other? And what could their own little story be? Maiden, mother, crone was the invention of um, Robert Graves, who is a uh, poet and novelist in the 30s, 1930s and 1940s. And he wrote a book called The White Goddess, which was an homage to his muse. And he said, my muse is the maiden mother crone. Now it's not like people hadn't talked about the crone before, but he lumped her together as maiden mother crone. These represented the three phases of a woman's life. Well, I take issue with the bookends of those (laughs) words. I'm, I'm fine with mother, but the idea of maiden connotes, you know, the virgin running through the forest, tra la, tra la. And I don't know young women who are like that anymore. Young women are much more savvy than they were in my generation. And then the other book into that is crone. And crone is a word that entered the lexicon in the 1300s. It means disagreeable old woman. I don't know any woman who wants that title. Even if you're disagreeable or not. (laughs) Disagreeable or not. I mean, it's just, it's the word is meant as an insult. Mm -hmm. So you can't reclaim it. You can't dress it up it needs to change. And I would like the word creatrix to take the place of the word crone. So that 
is that's how maiden mother crone seeped into the culture really only 70 years ago. It, it was adopted by the neo-paganists and um, they put an overlay on it called the triple goddess that the maiden represented, let's see, the, um, the crescent moon, the mother represented the full moon, and then the waning moon was the crone. But you notice that the only full fullness in there, the only significance in there is the mother part. So we need to reclaim the maiden and the crone, not necessarily in those words, and I do believe that words matter, and change it to represent who we truly are now, what we're truly doing now. I'm not going gently into that good night. Most of my women friends aren't either. Very true. So creatrix, how did you come up with that word? Well, as I said, creatrix um, is came from the three Greek fates, the spinner, the weaver, and the cutter. <laughs> and so I was looking for a word that was kind of like the female equivalent to um, sage or wizard, because you see in the male hierarchy of archetypes, there are positive words to describe older age and sage and wizard are, are two of them. Um, but they are distinctly male words. They apply to men. When you think of wizard, you don't think of a wizardess, which is kind of a made up word. So creatrix became the word that stuck as I was writing about this. And actually my editor came up with it. I thought she'd made the word up. And then when I did my research on it, I went, oh, this is perfect. We are women. We are a culture of women who make things, whether it's leadership or it's art or it's fitness or it's gardens or whatever. We are women who make things. Yeah, when I heard the word or when I read the word creatrix, I was thinking of matrix. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I was thinking, like that. Oh, that's kind of like, to me, that was like the male opposite of creatrix. That's like, here's the matrix and here he's <laughs> into his sci-fi world and he's changing everything in his world and you know, you have to make the choice between the blue pill and the red pill. And, you know, which choice is it going to be that will change your life? So I, when I read your free copy of your book, I was thinking, of, yeah, it's like a matrix. <laughs> well, I, it was easy to go there. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, you said that knowing the arc of your personal story informs you. What does it mean, your, your arc of your personal story? Uh, well... Life is all about suffering and then reclamation. I mean, we all go through that process all the time. The Greeks were masterful about writing about this. So when you look at the arc of your own stories, and I, I will say plural, um, you see where you started with something. And then the mushy middle is kind of like the bad choices, the mistakes, the failures, that then leads you to this transfor transformation. And then from that transformation, you pick up the next story, the next project, the next idea. So that's what I mean about knowing the arc of your story. You know, life is never or rarely just polite and smooth. It's got all these kind of jagged edges. And I think it's the texture of life, both the joy and the suffering the pain and the celebration that make us so interesting as human beings and certainly makes us complex as human beings. So I celebrate women's stories and women don't tell their stories nearly enough. I, I'm hoping that that's going to change. I'm hoping that that is what this book does, is that inspire, will inspire women to learn more fully 
their own stories. A quick story is that I was in a, um, a store the other day with my neighbor. And I don't know my neighbor well, except that her husband and she got a puppy at the same time my husband and I got a puppy. And for the first month, the mantra around both of our households was, what the heck was I thinking getting a puppy at my age? And we sort of bonded over that. So now restrictions are lifted and we decided to go out to lunch. So we're in a store and she goes past this leather album, photo album. She said, oh God, this is so beautiful. I would love to do these for my children. Well, it was a pricey album, you know, leather bound and stuff. And I said, well, how many children do you have? And she stopped and she was silent. And she said, I, I don't know how to answer that. And I said, well, surely you were there. <laughs> and she said, I had a daughter who died just before her third birthday. And I went, oh, so you have three children and one that you carry in your heart, I can tell. And she said, yes, it happened so long ago, but I carry her in my heart. And then we went about our day and had lunch. But all day I thought about that story and I thought about, she carries that story with her every day. That story informs her. It has informed her life. It probably informed how she mothered her other child that came after that little girl. And so I think that we're at a time where it's important to give our stories air and let them breathe a little bit out there and to realize that we're connected by these stories, these kinds of stories. I mean, that little story probably took, that was a little three minute slice of life, but what an important story. But many of us try to hide these disappointments and sad moments because from what I know, and I don't exclude myself from that either, that we're ashamed to talk about it, that we are ashamed to admit uh, some form of failure. And in her case, her child died, to use it as an example, may it be during childbirth or whatever the, the case may be, but as a mother, and I have two children, grown children, I can uh, sympathize or have that feel, that feeling that she may think that it was her fault, that nobody should know about this happening. And I see that so often from women that I come either across the podcast or in, in my other work, that we are ashamed to admit failure. What do you think? Yeah, well, I think it, you know, it ties into to what we talked about initially, this idea of shame around aging, of mm -hmm. shame around something like losing a child. You know, in, in her instance, the child had died of a rare form of cancer. Mm -hmm. um, but still, you know, the tendency to blame oneself. And um, I, I would like to think that this at this time where the creatrix is rising in us, that we can begin to throw off some of this shame. And understand that, you know, everybody suffers. And oftentimes it's our suffering that connects us. But that doesn't mean that then life just becomes exclusively suffering. It means that you learn to hold suffering right next to the joy in your heart. And so I, I don't know what the answer is to how we throw off this shame, but I know that a good beginning is for us to um, share our stories with one another because it helps us realize that we're not as we're never as alone as we think we are and we're never as broken as we think we are i find it so uh refreshing and and 
yeah, I think refreshing is a good word to find that I hear on my podcast, I can share these stories. And I tell everybody who comes on the show, there's no barriers. You can talk about anything uh, and everything. And it's an, be an open book because that's how the audience listening learns from what you know. And that when I see people for as a, as a trainer for years and one person says, oh, do you know a good podiatrist? Oh yeah, you know, I have this podiatrist. This is really great. And the next person says, oh no, I have a better one because of this and that. And we're sharing this collective knowledge and passing it on. Like I would imagine back in the days, the same way stories were passed on from mother to daughter, to neighbor, to outside the village as we are now, but now we are no longer in the small communities. And we have, it's difficult. We're on the phone. We're on Zoom, we may be on Facebook or whatever social media platform we're using and we're not as closely connected that we're physically closer connected. We have a broader reach, but not as physically close connected like in your little village. There isn't, there isn't that same kind of um, emotional intimacy. Mm-hmm. I, I've thought about this, you know, with my, with my grandmother who grew up in a time, you know, when like radio was it, they didn't, of course, they didn't own a television until much, much later in life. And they read and they talked. Mm-hmm. And that's what you did with your free time. And my grandmother knitted or crocheted. She always had her hands busy with something. But that's when the stories came out, the, you know, the family stories. And I just think there's such tremendous power in story. Here's another quick story that I've been thinking about in terms of the power of story. This is a phenomenon that I believe happened nationwide. Um, and that is that the kids in this neighborhood and thousands of others began painting rocks and doing chalk drawings and leaving them for neighbors. In my neighborhood, the, the rocks said things like, don't lose hope, keep the faith, love. I mean, just the most positive, uplifting messages from these kids that painted rocks. And still around my neighborhood, you see some of these rocks in people's front yard. You know, they're around the tree or they're in a flower garden or something. And I think of those as story stones. These were the story stones from the children. And I just, I love that idea. It's like they demonstrated the power of story. They knew we were going through a rough time. They maybe didn't understand it to the extent of adult cognition, but they knew and they knew exactly what we needed. And that was don't lose the faith. Yeah, I live on a cul-de-sac and we have a couple of kids that are were in a, in a schooling pod. And so they would come out and they play basketball and then they would write these murals on the street and it's like hopscotch murals and messages and all the different colors. And I hadn't seen that in years, not till since my kids were three or four. I mean, my kids are 30 and 33, so I have not seen that for that long. And I, I agree with you. That's a powerful message that, that they're sending from their perspective. From knowing the personal arc of their own personal stories. That's what came from that. That's why it's so powerful. When you talk about the creatrix, there are different types. Can you talk about one of them? What creatrix type? Well, and how she develops her story. And, and I think that, you know, uh, women can make up their own types too. But for me, the, the great creatrixes in my personal life were um, the teacher, the healer, the illuminator, 
oh gosh, I wrote the book and I can't think of the fourth one. But, but I'll start with the illuminator. There was a um, minister that I knew in Colorado. And um, I used to like to go hear her preach because she was so positive and, and just so inspiring. And um, I, I took a class from her. And at the time, I was very shy about speaking in front of people. My voice would tighten up and and I was kind of nervous. So I, I gave myself an exercise in her class. Every time I had a question or I had a comment, first of all, I would stand. I wouldn't remain sitting. And second of all, I would say, I stand in the light of my truth. And then I would speak. And I stand in the light of my truth came from her. That was one of the things that she taught, how important it was for women to stand in the light of their truth and speak it. Don't be shy. Don't hold back. You have something to say. Courage doesn't always look like, you know, gold bands on your wrist and a gold breastplate. It looks like baby barf on your shoulder and skin knees. So I called her the illuminator. And there are women in our lives that hold a light for us when we're trying to find our way. And one day, if we're lucky, creatrixes, um, we will take that light and we will turn around and pass it to the women that are standing behind us who are coming up in age, and it will illuminate their lives as well. Um, teachers, the same thing. I had a, a favorite teacher at Naropa University who um, taught wonderful classes, and I adored her. And I took a class from her on journaling, which you think in college, well, a class on journaling, I mean, you know, come on, that's like a class on finger painting, but it was very interesting. And we did study Ani East Nin and May Sarton and some of the great journalists of our time. But I got a little, because I liked her so much and I knew that she liked me, I got a little loosey-goosey with my studies. So I wasn't turning in all my work. Oh. So she sat me down one day and she said, and this is what a true, a good teacher and a true teacher does. She said, you're going to fail unless you make a commitment to do your work, unless you fulfill the intention that you started this class with. And I was shocked because it's like, we liked each other so much. How could she be telling me this? But it was a great lesson for me. The upshot of it is, is yes, I did get it together. I turned in the stuff that was late and it, and it taught me that that's what a good teacher does. Yes, they inspire you, but they also hold you accountable. And that's what the creatrix as teacher does. So those are some of the examples of creatrix. And as I said, feel free to make up your own. You know, um, my grandmother was probably a creatrix as gardener. She had the most amazing garden of anyone I've ever known in my life. And the garden was filled with little statues of saints and angels and little rocks and talisman of her life. And it was her sacred space and she grew food and it nourished us. So you can make I can, it. I can envision the garden as you're telling. I'm like, oh yeah, I can totally see that. And there's a little stone over there and a little statue. And here grows a little this and a little that. I think I can totally envision that. I love gardening too. I don't do a lot because I have so many different interests, but I was like, I can, I could totally see that. That's just beautiful. And when you said that you are, have written the creatrix like the women who run with wolves, uh, the women with wolves 
if you haven't read their book, go get it as well. In the book, they, it stated, we become over-domesticated, fearful, uncreative, and trapped. So your creatrix is a comparison to that book. Tell us more about that. Well, fortunately for me, I didn't make the comparison. <laughs> Somebody else made the comparison. Yeah. But um, yes, there is a wildness to women. And that's part of being creative. That's part of being the creatrix. There is a wildness to us that we are being asked to reclaim um, and, and not be domesticated. Women were domesticated for thousands and thousands of years. It didn't get us very far. So now we have this opportunity to be in touch with that wild side and that, you know, the wild child or the wild woman doesn't mean what it used to mean 50, 60 years ago. Oh, she's just a wild girl. You know, that, that was an insult. You know, she was loose with her morals and whatnot. Now it means being in touch with the natural world, being in touch with nature, letting nature inform you, calling in the moon into your life, calling in the, the essence of nature to be part of your life. That's what the wildness means to me. That's what the creatrix is about. That's what um, Clarissa Pinkola Este's book was about, running women who run with the wolves. Yeah, I uh, listened into that book a little bit after you mentioned it. And I said, oh, I'm kind of curious to see what it's, I heard about it, had uh, read it. And so I said, oh yeah, let me just listen into that. And I thought, I, I, it struck accordingly in me with this over-domestication, the fearfulness and the uncreative trapped lifestyle because I hear that all the time, not in those strong, powerful words, but women are fearful. We're supposed to, like you said earlier, we're supposed to wear a certain makeup and now we're getting older and, you know, we need to have a perky butt and our hair, well, should we let it go gray? Well, gray is really a color that's, that's uh, looked upon favorably, but really, do you want to be looking gray? Because they don't look at you like you're young and juicy anymore. You're trapped in, in the midlife where you go, okay, now I, I raised the kids. I did everything for the kids and now my nest is empty. Now, where do I fit in, in the second half of my life? And your creatrix is the perfect segue for that second half in life, I feel. So when you think about this is we're getting older. How do we reinvent ourselves? How do we become the creatrix? despite all the losses and, and the, the pains that we had, and maybe even we're clueless of where we want to go. Well, I think it's more because of the losses and pains that we've had that we become the creatrix, a woman who makes things. Um, how do we become that? I think we tune in, that we, we become less afraid of being quiet and asking ourselves the question, what do I want the rest of my life to look at? or to look like, who do I want to be for the rest of my life? Who am I now? Who would I like to be? I mean, these are oftentimes questions that, that we ask of a, of a 20 year old, you know, where do you see yourself in 10 years, says the HR director when you're interviewing. And, and I think that it's even more important as we get older, to ask yourself when you're 50 years old, where do you see yourself in 10 years? How will you, how will you cherish yourself at the age of 60? How will you cherish yourself at the age of 80? What is it that you feel you have to give the world? And then the other part of becoming a creatrix is that, is that quiet, contemplative, reflective place 
that says, I love my life. I'm grateful for my life. I have no regrets. And how can I help you? That's part of being a creatrix too. How do we uplift other women, the women that are coming up behind us that are about to turn 50 or 60? Um, all of that is becoming a creatrix. Yeah. It's when, when you think about that, we're on the forefront of all the midlife. And I go back to that from a fitness point of view is the, you, you said this too, life is too short to hate your thighs. <laughs> right. I'm like, let's not focus just on the external. We want to stay healthy. We want to eat healthy. We want to exercise. We want to keep our minds uh, working as we age. But you know, get away, getting away from that, I think is really difficult for so many women as we're sitting, we're being bombarded, the media, the ads, the, all of that to, to find a place where we can do that. And, and like you said, give back or pass on to the younger generation or even parallel to the women that are around us it takes quite a bit of a strong personality, don't you think? It does take a strong personality, but I believe that every woman has talent, skills, and abilities and gifts that she can share with the world that will make the world a better place. And, you know, we, we've got to shed this shame thing, you know, the shame thing about age, the shame thing about weight, the shame thing. Oh my gosh. Yes. It's like that, it, that's like an old skin on a snake that just needs to be you know, we need to crawl out of it because this is our time. And, you know, it's interesting. We don't judge other women as harshly as we judge ourselves True. as we age. It's like, I would never dream of speaking to another woman the way I've talked to myself sometimes. So I think one of the places that we can start is how do you talk to yourself? And, you know, just to be aware of that. How do you talk to yourself? Do you say, good morning, gorgeous. It's going to be a great day. Or do you say, oh, God, I wonder if I should look into getting, you know, a little work done here. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it is so true. Yeah, it is. I saw a client today in person. And the first thing she said, she's 74. The first thing she said when she walked in the door, she said, ah, I gained five pounds during COVID. <laughs> I was like, this is the first thing you have to tell me? Not like. Hey, so good to see you after a year and a half. Man, how have you been? I mean, I've been this. It was about this external. And that's when I, when I saw this in your notes, life is too short to hate your thighs. I was like, nobody would know about those five pounds. Why are you being so hard on yourself to say, no, I gained those five pounds. Yes, we don't want the five pounds to be 10, 20 or more pounds. But that's not defining. I was like, well, well how else have you been? You know, how did you manage being at home? How, you and your husband are older. Your husband's almost 80. Well, you know, and it was just a little, it took digging to get away from that external stuff. What will be some of the tips that you could give us, our listeners today, when you're in your 50, I just turned 60, so I had my big birthday in April. And Honestly, I don't feel any different than in my 50s. I was like, I just decided that after I turned 60, I won't do certain things anymore. I let go of certain things that I just didn't want to do. And I said to my husband, I said, no, I'm going to decide that I don't want to do this and this anymore. And I'm done with this. But 
what would you tell other women as they become uh, older, going, getting older, how to find their voice, celebrate their story, and get started on that journey to self-discovery or, or self-appreciation? Well, let's start with <laughs> yeah. Let, let's start with self knowledge does reveal all things. So part of making peace with older age is to get to know yourself better than you ever ever have before. What's in my heart today? What do I like? What do I not like? Who do I want to become? Life doesn't stop at fifty. It doesn't stop at sixty or seventy. You know, we have the ability, um, George Valant, who was part of the um, Harvard project on aging, and this project has been going on for 40 years, studying aging, but he said, you know, at the end of the day, he said, we have the ability to grow psychologically and spiritually until the day we die. And I've given up certain things too. And I turned 69 this year, also in April, by the way, we're both April babies. Um, and so I'm about, you know, I'm on the threshold of my seventies, but here's what I've given up. I don't want relationships that aren't nourishing. I don't want relationships where I can't go deep. So my circle of friends has gotten smaller as I've gotten older. Um, I look for the things that nourish my heart and my soul in the day, whether that's cutting back my candle lilies or, making a breakfast that feels more like comfort food. I eat very healthy around this house, but there are times when I just want pancakes. It feels like comfort food to me. And I let myself have that without apology, without um, shame. Mm -hmm. And anything I think that you can do that allows you to feel good about who you are, don't be afraid to give yourself some praise. Don't be afraid to give yourself an at a girl, at a girl, you got that done. And also don't be afraid to take time off. At 70, I've worked most of my life. I'm fortunate now that I write, I do podcasting, I do public speaking. I love all of that, but I still schedule in time off, time for myself, time to watch the sun come up, time to watch the grass grow. Just time, the luxury of time. You don't have to spend time. You can just be in the time that is and have that be a gift. That's part of embracing the years. Everything changes and ends. Everything ages. My dog got old and we had to put him down last June. I never once looked at him and said, you have too many gray hairs on your muzzle. I never once looked at him and said, your hips have become kind of rickety. Maybe I should get a new dog to walk with. Those things never crossed my mind. So why do they cross our minds with us? I still walk three miles most mornings. But some mornings when I go out, I'm just not as fast as my husband. And that's okay. He can stride out in front of me. The important thing is to keep moving, right? So give yourself space to embrace those years, to embrace the changes, because we're all going to go through the changes. If you're lucky enough to have lived this long, your connective tissue is going to change, but you will find a way to adapt and keep moving. And so a lot of these years um, are about adaptability. 
and cherish that. That is a real talent adaptability. I'll tell you, older people did better with COVID than people not because it was like, well, I've adapted to other things before. I'll just adapt to this, stay at home. And, you know, I won't go out for a while. I'll miss my friends, but we adapted. And I think it was a little easier on us. It wasn't the big mental stress that it was for some people. And well said, one of my clients is actually old enough that she went through World War II, uh, one. Wow. And she said, thank you. This is nothing. Now we have cell phones and I can do Zoom calls. Oh, I love that. She adapted, man, just like that. She, you know, when everything shut down, she says she used to come and see me in person. And then she says, you know, I'm really, really have trouble walking. And can we do Zoom? And I was like, all right, I can teach you Zoom. So I made a little video how it gets started. And then she took it from there and she turned into the Zoom monster. <laughs> and she is out doing all her whatever Zoom calls and she's teaching as at the university as a adjunct faculty on women's rights uh, at that age. I mean, she's like re really at the old and but she's fit. She's acting just like, you know what? We didn't have any food. My mom made our own clothes out of whatever we found. We had nothing to eat. There was nothing to do. And people said, oh, I'm so bored. There's nothing to do and nowhere to go. She said, we were in between rubble. Yeah. She says, I was a small, small child and we had nothing but rubble. And so this just confirms what you said, Stephanie, is there was nothing. And they were like, no, we have more because we have the internet. We yes. have TV. We, we, you know, we can get your, our library books on the phone. And, and so much more adaptable than the younger crowd. You're absolutely right. And uh, as you, as we get older and we're adapting to, or trying to adapt to this new us, is there something that you can add to that? So if you are saying, all right, I get what they're saying, but how do I get started? What is the first thing that Stephanie would say to me? Would you, what would you do? That all sounded great, but give me like something to write down or, or, or put in my book or on my fridge that I can start with. Well, if you don't already start with a gratitude practice, gratitude will take you a long, long distance through a lot. And especially if you can learn to practice gratitude in the face of adversity. So there's always something to be grateful for. Um, read something inspirational. Um, read something about Iris Apfel or about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, who had rich careers way, way, way into life. And I mean, essentially, Ruth Bader Ginsburg pretty much worked till the day she died. She did. Pretty much. Um, and she had a gift and she kept giving it to the world. Find out what your gifts are. Gifts have a lot of, you don't have to be like a famous person. You don't have to, um, you don't have to have written a book or, you know, been a Supreme court justice. People have gifts in, in gardening, in what they create for their grandchildren, in how they keep their homes, in the little rituals and ceremonies of life. So start with gratitude and then start counting the gifts that you have to give. You have so much, you have something to give away. Yeah. And that's I think where many, I would begin. Many people don't, don't see that gratitude. They always think that gratitude is something, a big undertaking. 
And I'm like, just be grateful that you have warm food, that you have a cup of tea in your hand, that your flowers actually are not eaten by the deer for a change. Or <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what I'm grateful for because yeah. I love my daily list. Well, I'll back it up even a step behind that and say, you can start gratitude practice just by breathing in thank you and breathing out thank you. And it doesn't have to be attached to anything. If you say, I don't know what to be grateful for, or I don't know what to list, fine. Then just breathe in thank you. And you can do that when you're in an elevator. You can do that on the street when you're walking. You can do that practice anywhere. And I guarantee you that it will change your mindset and it will change your mind chemistry, your brain chemistry, when you start breathing in and out. Thank you. Positivity. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, what inspires you to do what you do, Stephanie? Well, I have always loved the stories of women. And I think it comes from my mom, who raised me as a single mother, even though there was a dad in the picture, he wasn't present most of the time. And so I remember a time when I was a little girl, when my mother came home in tears because she had quit her job. And I said, why did you quit? And she said, well, you know, I found out that my assistant, who was a man, was making more money than I was. And now even at 10 years old, I knew that there was something dreadfully wrong with this and really, really unfair. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, why? And she said, well, I went to my boss and I asked that same question, why? And my boss said to me, well, he has a family to support. And my mother said, so do I. So the only thing that was open to her in that day and age, because it was before the Lilly Ledbetter Act, it was before Equal Pay for Equal Work, was for her to quit and move on. And she did that to keep her dignity intact. That story has informed so much of my life and so much of my work as far as having independence as far as having my own finances in a row, um, as far as knowing that the playing field hasn't always been level and sometimes still is not level between men and women. So this is what informs my work and makes me feel that I want to be a light and uplifting to other women. If I can do it, you can do it. <laughs> hey, I say this, this is my line. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to step on your line, but there you go. <laughs> okay, I'll claim it for the fitness venue because if I can do it, you can do it. That's right. <laughs> now, any final word that you'd like to share with my audience? Well, be kind to yourself. Be kind to others. Life just feels better with some kindness in it and with some self-acceptance in it. Don't be too hard on anyone, but yourself especially. Yeah. And how can people reach you on social media handles and where can they get your book when it's out in August? Because this episode will air just a little bit before your book airs. So oh, nice. Well, my book is available everywhere. So you can get it at your local bookstore or you can get it on amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com. Um, if you like supporting independent bookstores, I suggest bookshop.org or IndieBound.org. Um, those are usually the small press publishers that bookstores buy. And um, yeah, it will be available everywhere after August 24th. And I am available at byline-stephanie.com. That's my website, my blog site. And um, you can reach out to me there. There's a contact page and I do answer all emails. 
And if you don't know what byline means, because I looked it up, because I was intrigued by byline, Stephanie, it means written by yes. Stephanie. And I said, this is so interesting. <laughs> I thought it was very unique and different, and I'd never heard of it. I mean, English is my second language, but still, I thought, interesting. What came up with that? Well, I, I, several years ago, when I stopped working my old job from my old life and became a creatrix, I was writing for a little local newspaper called the Rogue Valley Messenger. And so the name byline, you know, it's like, okay, here's the story. Here's the headline. What's the byline? The byline is who wrote the story. So I always liked that, the byline. And uh, so I borrowed it for this. I just thought I, it, it was in the back of my mind and I said, I can't forget to, to add it. I just thought about it. And I was like, thank you for sharing this because I wouldn't have known before. Other people would say, Heike, oh, of course, that's, it's so good to know. So, well, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say English is a second language. There's so many nuances that, you know, I would never have guessed it was a second language, but. Oh. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, Stephanie, it was so awesome to have you here as woman in midlife and the creatrix in, per in person here with us on the show today. Thank you so much for sharing all Thank you. that you shared and the stories you shared with everybody that helped everybody who's listening, male or female, to the next step in their life. And to anybody listening, this is also in video. If you want to see Stephanie live almost, you can find us also on YouTube and you will have links in the show notes from all the things that Stephanie talked about today, how to reach her. So you don't have to scramble, find a pen when you listen to this, especially not when you're driving or doing other things. All the links will be in the show notes. And I want to encourage you to reach out to us on social media, whether it's on Instagram, on Facebook, or email Stephanie directly or me and ask us how we can help you and support you in your journey to become the creatrix that you want to become. Or if you have said, yes, I am a creatrix, reach out to us. You have Stephanie's handles. You know mine, Heike Yates on Instagram and Heike Yates Pursue Your Spark on Facebook. And with that, my friends, we are out of here. It's summertime and the Pursue Your Spark will not air in August, but we will be back in September. So we'll see you then and send you off your way to create your own new life. <laughs>